I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about remote learning causes carjackings. Who knew? Heidi St. John, candidate for U.S. Congress in the state of Washington, joins me. And the maskless lefties and their excuses and Capitol Police spying on members of Congress. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In Chicago, they've had an astounding increase in the number of carjackings just this year. And I'll just tell you the numbers when I say astounding increase. They had, uh, according to data compiled by CBS Chicago, um, there were 603 carjackings in 2019. And in 20, and, and then 2020, there are 1,850. And then in the year 20, I'm sorry, I'm doing them backwards. The number rose to 1,413 in 2020 and 1,850 this year. Point is, numbers are going out. I'll say those very quickly. 19, 20, 21, 603 to 1,400 to 1,800. So the mayor of Chicago was addressing this real crisis in carjackings. You know, carjackings are violent. They are not you know, just uh, someone lifted your keys and drove off. They usually involve violently pulling the driver out of the car, uh, sometimes injuring him. So a very violent crime. So the mayor has asked, you know, what is the, and, and the, the uh, arrest, the people arrested for it, the people conducting these carjackings are largely juveniles under 18. So the mayor has asked about this, you know, why this enormous increase in the number of carjackings by juveniles, by young people. And her answer was she tried to tie it to because young people are engaged in remote learning due to COVID, we have too many people learning at home, you see, and they're bored. They get bored because they're learning at home or their parents, you know, assume they're at home doing their at-home learning and the parents are off doing their jobs and the kids, whatever reason, don't continue in the remote learning project they're supposed to be doing instead go out and carjack. So she's tying this carjacking by juveniles to remote learning. And the reason I want to comment on that today in the first five is that you do not ever hear leftists such as the mayor in Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, you know, who's presiding over an enormous increase in crime, endless gun violence, always finger pointing, somebody else's fault, somebody else, some other societal cause. So she's in this mode, she's got to defend the carjackings and she says, well, it's because of remote learning. She's basically saying because they're home and they're bored. You never hear a leftist such as Chicago Mayor Lightfoot say, well, actually, we might be looking at a problem because we've been so engaged in this effort to defund police, not just defund police, but to mock police, to malign them, to make them, um, you know, the enemy in the community. We also have a just we're, we're on just an epidemic of decriminalizing everything in the country. Now, I don't think they've decriminalized carjacking, but they have decriminalized even here in Texas in Dallas our that one of the biggest counties in Texas. We have decriminalized here thefts of any amount of anything uh, under the value of $750. Of course, the business owners are complaining, saying, well, all these people are walking out with stuff. I can't do a thing about it. To which the district attorney says, you're right. Nothing you can do, not prosecuting them. 
But back to the situation in Chicago, you know, the idea of blaming poverty, of blaming boredom on your hands, and not enough to do, got tired of remote learning, all these excuses, if they were valid, they would have applied in many other uh, stages in American history. I was talking to our guest before we started today. My dad was one of seven kids, very, uh, Impoverished should be a very fair word. My mom, one of five kids, equally uh, not a ton of money on, ha on hand. And all seven kids in my dad's family, who didn't have a father in the home, by the way, it's my grandmother raising five boys and two girls, nobody got arrested for anything. I mean, nobody got arrested for stealing, for any other crime. And they were probably bored sometimes at home. They didn't have summer school and they didn't have entertainment. They didn't have television. And so they didn't have all these entertainment you know, provided by somebody else, but they just knew you, you don't go do bad things. You don't steal things. You don't steal other people's things because that's not right. And so what has happened in our society is, especially with leftism, you find something to blame besides the individual who engaged, engaged in the conduct, such as these carjackers. And the worst thing about this is, is that when Mayor Lightfoot instead says, you know, says what she said, instead of saying something like, We've got to crack down on our youth. We've got to be explained to them. We do not tolerate crime. We're going to have a, you know, crack windows um, you know, kind of approach to crime as we, as Mayor Giuliani did in New York. We're going to crack down. And you're going to be sorry if you do this. We're going to prosecute you and you're going to end up in jail and you're going to ruin your life. So knock it off. Instead of a message like that that says basically we expect you to behave, there's the blame something else in this case. You know, God, gosh darn, those poor kids are bored at home and they don't like remote learning. I have to tell you, this attitude of the left of intolerance, of defunding the police, of decriminalizing what are obvious crimes, it does no one any good, even including the kids who engage in the carjacking, because they, of course, their behavior is being validated or at least excused. And I'm sure they're at least prosecuting these people with the entire mentality of the anti-American left which is how I always refer to the left in this country. They are anti-American. The anti-American left of excusing or somehow engaging in finger pointing somebody else's fault for everything that goes wrong, it actually doesn't serve these young people well either because someday they will grow up, they'll be adults, and if they're not in jail, they're going to end up in jail because they've been taught their entire lives, you're not really responsible for your behavior, somebody else is, and, and some other fault in society, something else is responsible except you. And if the kids don't learn when they're young, when they're juveniles engaged in carjacking, that you're responsible for what you do, you know, heaven help us and what they may do once they're older and have grown up believing they're never accountable for their behavior. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned we have a guest joining us. Uh, this is a, a woman who's running for U.S. Congress. We've been having a lot of candidates on. We're going to have a lot more candidates on in this, uh, this year where we have many primaries. We have people seeking congressional seats. And the reason I love having them on is because so much in, in this country, there's so much going on that is not good. Uh, so many things to be concerned about in this country. And many of us go home and I do a talk show. That's my contribution. And I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of speeches all over the place. But somebody's got to step up and be the lawmaker. Someone's got to step up and try to change things in Washington here in the great state of Texas in Austin or wherever your capital is, you gotta get people in there willing to stand up, willing to fight, who understand the issues facing the country. So I love, and I, I meet many, many candidates in the course of our political activities, and I invite some of them whom I really connect with, uh, invite them on the show, because I wanna share their what they're doing, why they're doing it, I wanna celebrate their willingness to get into a campaign 
because campaigns, having worked on many, are really not that fun. I mean, it sounds wonderful to be in Congress. To get there is a battle. It's time consuming, it is exhausting, and it is a relentless effort to try to think of ways to reach new voters. It's hard work. I shouldn't say they're, they're, they are fun. They're a lot of hard work. And so I want to reward people and encourage those who do it. And today we have joining us Heidi St. John. She's running for Congress in the state of Washington, CD3, Congressional District 3. And let's welcome Heidi St. John. Hi, Heidi. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. I think we have Mr. Becker has uh, the your, your uh, high run up, but you're running for is Congressional District 3, CD3. And um, just to start with, because I think a lot of people think of Washington State, they're all a bunch of radical leftists out there. So you're running as a Republican, but where is this congressional district that you're running from? So I'm located in Southwest Washington. It is one of the few conservative pockets in Washington state. Most people think of Washington state as it relates to Seattle. That's about three hours north of me. My district runs to Klickitat County to the east, so almost to the southeast part or the middle uh, portion of the state all the way out to the ocean. So it's a pretty wide swath of land. And uh, you, you made a really good point. There are a lot of people who say, boy, I sure hope the whole West Coast would fall off into the ocean. We could get rid of Oregon and Washington and California in one fell swoop. And I always tell people there are good people living here. And uh, I love the people of this state and I will not be driven from my home because the leftists are running it. So it's a, it's a hard battle here, but I think it's one worth fighting. Oh, I love it. So in Washington, I mean, this is a, you say it's a fairly large geographic area. So once you start this campaign, are you just going back and forth across the district all the time trying to, is that what you're basically involved in is, is meet the people kind of travel? Yeah. So I've been out across the district. I've been um, hosting meet and greets. I do uh, this Saturday morning, I'm going to be doing a town hall with another state representative who's a friend of mine. We're trying to find out, I do a lot of listening right now because I want to find out uh, what are the issues that the voters of Southwest Washington are concerned about? Because what's happening in Skamania County is going to be different than what happens in Pacific County and up in Lewis County is different than Clark County. So I'm just going around right now, just trying to introduce myself to the voters. I have been working uh, for the people of this area for nearly 20 years, raising our children here, uh, advocating particularly on in the field of education which as you know, is on fire in the country right now. It's a very hot topic. And so really I, you know, we're doing a lot of traveling right now, doing a lot of listening. I love talking to people. I love hearing what they have to say. And uh, frankly, it would be the honor of a lifetime to represent the good citizens of Southwest Washington in Congress. I cannot wait to go toe to toe with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, if I make it to Congress, you guys are going to be hearing an awful lot about a homeschool mom for Washington State. I guarantee it. I love that, and I know you're a homeschool mom. And before we get into your biography, there is actually an incumbent in this seat, obviously, someone from Congressional District 3 who is Republican. So what is the reason you would challenge an incumbent Republican? Well, the main reason is I just, I wish that she was stronger in her, in her position. So uh, I have voted actually for Jamie Herrera Butler for the uh, five cycles that she's run. She's 10 years now as a, as a representative. When she started running, she was just Jamie Herrera's before she was married. But we've watched her slowly over the years become less and less conservative and less and less passionate about the issues that matter to me. And I think to a lot of her constituents here, if you look at the Club for Growth, for example, she gets a 44%. Well, uh, where I come from, that's an F. So Club for Growth has given her a 44% on uh, economic issues. I would have loved to have seen her be stronger. She was one of the few Republicans that voted to impeach President Trump. 
And then, uh, and then she doubled down on it, which frankly angered a lot of her constituents here in Southwest Washington, kind of wondering why are you, you know, why are you doing something that, you know, most of your constituents would be horrified by. And so when that happened, she got several challengers uh, to her seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. And frankly, I think it's just time. She's been there for 10 years. Let's let somebody else have a stab at it. And I'd like to see her come home and get reacquainted with the people in her district. Love that answer. And actually, I, uh, you and I have spoken a couple times in person. I did not recall. She voted for impeachment she, to impeach President Trump. Is that twice she would do that? Both times? She voted for impeachment. Yeah, she she well, she voted to impeach him and then she doubled down on the uh, so-called insurrection. So the January 6th uh, incident, uh, she believes, was an insurrection. There were so many issues that are happening here regarding President Trump and her. Basically, she didn't support him. I mean, she didn't vote against him all the time, but she wasn't a supporter of his. And uh, of course, angered a lot of the people here who this, you know, President Trump was wildly popular in Congressional District 3. And so uh, I think that was political suicide for her. She's not been very strong on, let's say, red flag gun laws. I am a staunch proponent of the Second Amendment. I don't understand what part of shall not be infringed these lawmakers do not understand. You know, they, they're trying to take guns away from law-abiding citizens, which renders us unable, unable rather, to defend ourselves. Well, that should never happen in the United States. And so we've got a lot of issues facing the country right now not the least of which is skyrocketing inflation, which is affecting every single uh, citizen here in Southwest Washington. People are concerned about open borders and the uh, the woke military, what's happening in our schools. We have major, major problems right now that are being caused by the policies of the left in this nation. And the only good side, the only good thing that I can see coming out right now of the Biden administration and the disaster that is Joe Biden is that people are finally waking up. You know, they're throwing us the football and all we got to do now is not fumble it. That's such a great analogy. All we have to do is not fumble. That's a great, great, especially as the Super Bowl is coming up. That's a really great analogy. So I don't want to dwell on your uh, the incumbent except to say, I find it breathtaking that anyone could get elected to Congress as a Republican from an apparently Republican majority district. Although I think CD3 is, you know, can go either way. I guess it's fairly close, but can get elected to Congress as a Republican and then vote to impeach the Republican president. You have to have... I don't know, drunk the Kool-Aid, sunk in the swamp, something happens to you in Washington, you kind of lose your bearings on who sent you there and what those people believe in. And I'm, I, I'm, I, and I thought I recall, I may be incorrect, I, did she vote to create the January 6th committee? Yes, she right? was part of that, of the January 6th commission. And, you know, honestly, when you look at what's happening with Republicans now, another one of those Republicans, Dan Newhouse, is also from Washington State. He also voted to impeach the president. The backlash here has been severe. And I think what we have forgotten, we live in uh, in a constitutional republic, right? And so we elect people to go and represent us. That means that when I send a representative to Congress or to the state house even, I am sending them there to be my voice. So we should understand what the constituents want. And what she has done is wildly out of touch with her constituents. And I think that she's seeing a backlash now. And so I'm going to do everything I can to unseat her and send some fresh eyes and a new perspective and a passion to see hope brought back to the citizens of Washington State. People are suffering here, as you know. They're suffering because of the lockdowns. We're suffering because of all of the insanity from COVID-19. The suicide rate in Washington state is skyrocketing. Now we've got inflation, gas prices are rising. 
People are losing their jobs. They're being fired because they won't participate in an experimental vaccine program. We've got issues coming out our ears around here, and we're going to have to start talking honestly about them. And the truth is, you're gonna, we're going to send an entirely new, uh, hopefully an entirely new crop of representatives to Washington, D.C. in 2022. And then we're going to have to spend the next two years still dealing with Joe Biden. And so the goal is going to have to be stop these radical leftists, stop the socialist agenda of, of Joe Biden, and see if we can't put a tourniquet on the bleeding that these Democrats have inflicted upon this amazing nation. Love that. Uh, you are fired up, which I just love hearing. I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about your own background. I, before we went on air, you were telling us, uh, tell me that you and your husband have seven children, which is really fun. I love, love, love big families. So tell us a little bit more about your background uh, and, and your, and actually, and you're, even you're from this area. I mean, you, you grew up in this area. Is that right? In Washington? Yes. So my husband and I have been married for 33 years. We have seven children. They range in age from 30 down to 12. And I've got three grandkids, going to soon have four here. So we're excited about that. We have homeschooled all of our children. Uh, 24 years ago, I saw some things in the public school system that really bothered me. And I made a decision that I said I would never do. And that was to pull my daughter out of the public school system and homeschool her. And it was the best decision that we ever made. Uh, the rest of our six children have never set foot in a public school. I have homeschooled all of them. And out of that, my, my passion to see other parents have this opportunity. My husband and I have planted over 60 homeschool cooperatives around the United States, a couple in Canada, a couple in uh, Germany. And more recently, five years ago, we planted the nation's largest homeschool resource center. Right now, currently, we have 1,600 students enrolled there. And really, the goal there is to give parents options. It's to say, listen, you don't have to be stuck in the public school system. There are options. The public schools are damaging our children. They're damaging their minds. They're damaging their hearts. We are cranking out of our public universities and our public high schools by the tens of thousands every single year students who hate this country and want to see it changed into the image of Barack Obama and uh, the radical left in this country. And they're being indoctrinated, and that's the truth. And so I've been uh, bringing awareness this for a long time, going back and forth to Washington, D.C., talking to state representatives there and also at the State House here in Olympia against comprehensive sex education. And now I'm going to take my fight uh, to the floor of the House of Representatives. Heidi St. John, I love your passion. And actually, you began homeschooling, uh, I mean, not to sound too casual about it, but before it was cool. Because right now, uh, I think more and more Americans are wide awake and recognizing what kids are being taught in school. They are being taught to hate America, to hate the founding, the whole 1619 mentality as the real identity of America as being somehow evil and dark and, and racist and, um, and, and to hate freedom and capitalism, to hate the founding documents. I mean, these things, this has been happening for a long time and you were astute, it sounds like early on, recognizing uh, these are dangerous things that kids are learning. So I really commend you. And actually, I, I, I think that homeschooling for many years to many people sounded just overwhelming. You thought, well, they just said, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't know how to teach or I don't understand chemistry. I can't do that or some other topic they knew they weren't good at. But parents have started to rise up and recognize that either you do know enough to start in the lower grades and there are resources to help you every grade to go along. So you're trying to get, you, you say you planted charter schools. I'm sorry, repeat the kind of schooling that schools that you got and your husband created around the country. 
Yeah, so they were, they're homeschool cooperatives and they work typically in conjunction with churches. But I realized about five years ago, so I, I probably should have mentioned, I'm also an author. I've written eight books. Uh, I have uh, one of the most downloaded podcasts uh, for Christian women on the internet. It's called Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. So I travel and speak for a living with our family. We've been doing this for about 15 years. And five years ago, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, speaking there for an event when Barack Obama issued his bathroom mandate. Well, it was 2016, so you, you may remember this. So he, he declared that the bathrooms should be safe spaces and whatever. Okay, we had a little temporary break there. She's talking about Barack Obama issuing some statement in 2016, which would have been you know, the last year of his second term, in which he was trying to essentially protect- I'm also a resource center, which we did. I'm so sorry. I don't know, Heidi, if you realize your sound went out, so I jumped in. If you, if do we have Heidi, can we get her picture back? No. Yes. Okay. Are we there? Yeah, now we're there. Okay, so you started to say 2016, Barack Obama issued the bathroom mandate, and that should be lost you. So we should repeat that. Yes. And so I realized that the homeschool cooperative model, which only meets one day a week, wasn't going to be enough. And so we opened up a homeschool resource center. So we have over right now, we have 200 classes that are available there for students to choose from and parents can really direct the education of their children. They can come in and choose from a smorgasbord of classes. They're affordable, they're fun. Uh, and we're, we have the uh, really the philosophy there that we learn to fold children where they're bent. So we find out what is the child's natural interest and then we supplement you know, their reading and their writing and arithmetic with history. We're teaching the constitution there and it really has flourished and it's giving parents an option to the public school system. And that is what is needed right now. Love that, I love it. And actually, so now the other thing I wanna ask you about is you uh, tour your, uh, your future district and talk to people. You mentioned a whole host of issues and I think many conservatives are concerned about a lot of them. But what are the main things you're hearing from constituents uh, about what they're so concerned about? What they, I mean, I, I, overall the country's gone radically left or is trending radically left. And so I think many people are just wanting to put the brakes on, but what specifically are the issues that you hear people say they're concerned about? Well, the issue of, of mandates is very big here right now. A lot of people losing their jobs. Uh, I could tell you stories that would make you cry of men and women who have been wonderful employees for 30 plus years who've been fired from their jobs over the mandates. I see my role largely in Congress as to, to roll back the role of the federal government, to peel it back. The federal government is outside of its jurisdiction right now. And we, you know, big government is ruining this country. We have wide open borders. The people around here are talking about that. You hear the Biden administration talking about jumping into a conflict in Ukraine before even securing our own borders. He's derelict in his duty. He is supposed to be protecting uh, the United States right now from uh, foreign invasion. And this is happening every single day on our southern border. And so that is a big issue. Uh, we hear people all the time talking about rising inflation. Listen, I have managed a household with seven children, and I am a, a business owner. I own three successful businesses. I know what it takes to balance a budget. I do not know why this is so hard for the Congress. And I think we should be willing to shut the government down to do it. But every single year, we raise the debt ceiling. Well, if I raise the debt ceiling on my business year after year after year, guess what would happen to my business? It would go bankrupt. These are, these are basic uh, economic realities that the Congress seems to have forgotten. And so uh, I think we're sending, hopefully, common sense people with common sense solutions. I would like to see a critical race theory stop receiving funds through the federal government, through grants. Uh, there are so many things wrong with the country right now that are affecting ordinary Americans. We saw Biden's ridiculous infrastructure bill. 
And part of that package was dedicated to studying the effects of climate change on pregnant women. This is not what the American people want. The federal government is supposed to secure the borders. If you don't have a border, you don't have a nation. We're supposed to fund the military. And instead, we've got a woke military that it, it, there's just issue after issue after issue. And I would like to see a, a real voice for the citizens of Southwest Washington go to Washington, D.C. and address the things that the people here care about. They want to see interstate commerce. I'm all the way out on the West Coast. We want roads and bridges. And what do you see coming down from the Biden administration? You see the Green New Deal, right? And, and we're talking about bicycle paths and climate change and all the things. You know, we want to open up American ingenuity and roll back regulations. There are so many things that we could do that would really inject life and hope back into America. And it starts by sending people that have common sense and business experience to the Congress to represent us. It most certainly does. We are speaking with Heidi St. John for our radio listeners. We're speaking to Heidi St. John. Her website is Heidi St. John for Congress, the word for F-O-R, and there's no, are no periods and that's just Heidi St. John for Congress.com. And also uh, radio listeners or online listeners, this is a uh, this is a kind of candidate we, we need to find more of in America. We need to hear this spirit of just refreshed new faces in Washington, people willing to stand up and people willing to talk about actual issues as you're hearing her do today. And people who are uh, convicted about the idea that we can restore America. Because I'll tell you, Heidi, I'll leave one last thing and I'm, I'm gonna rock and roll after this last question, but you know, I hear people and in and, and giving speeches, I, I hear people say in the Q&A, you know, honestly, I, I, I think the country's gone. I think we can't get it back. It's too late. There are too many uh, leftists who've gone through high school and college and they believe in socialism. They believe in Marxism. Uh, I don't know how we're ever going to get the country back. And I, I always say, you know, to my dying breath, I'm going to fight to have our country because I do think actually the majority of Americans do not want what the left is doing to this country. They may not have been political up until now, but now they're tuned in and they, they recognize they do not want what, what the, not just the Biden administration, but the anti-American left, the Marxist left is really doing to this country. Your thoughts on that point and then I'll let you go. I think we can never let the Democrats have what they want, which is to have control over this country. And so we're going to fight. This is what I, you know, when I ran for Congress, I said to my husband, you know, we were talking about this and there are so many people leaving Washington state right now because of the tyrannical dictates of a tyrannical governor. And I said, I will not be driven from my home. That is what the left wants. They want us to feel so discouraged and so defeated that we stay home. We don't vote. We don't engage. And we just give it to them. Listen, the, the policies that are coming out of the radical left are going to ruin this country. And even the people that voted for them are starting to see that it won't work. And so we can't give up. And I think, uh, you know, I'm an optimist. And I think if we can start changing the narrative in this country and start talking about the benefits of freedom and the benefits of opening up, uh, peeling back regulations and unleashing the American spirit, almost all of the major uh, inventions that have helped the world around the world have come from America. Why? Because we are the land of opportunity. We are the land of hope. And we can do that again. We can never give up. I am doing this for my children and for my grandchildren. I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, I did everything I could to fight for freedom. I think America is worth fighting for. And every single one of your listeners, if we have that in our heart, America's death days really are ahead of us. And on that wonderful note, Heidi St. John, again, for our radio listeners, Heidi St. John for Congress.com. Uh, Heidi, I'm so glad we finally connected. I, we met you months ago and I kept working on a date, so so glad you're available today. And I'm just, thank you for running for Congress. It is one tough slug. I know to run for, I have never done it, 
but I've helped people running for Congress in one tough slug. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Okay, folks, we have just a few minutes left before we get to our um, our break at the bottom of the hour for our radio listeners. So I want to run through some quick things, uh, program notes. Uh, if you're listening on radio, this show is called America Can We Talk? My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk? And the website is americacanwetalk.org. You can go to that website. You can read our uh, blog posts. You can see all of our past interviews, past shows. Where the website's undergoing some uh, really great reconstruction, re a new development of its look and all that. So in a few weeks, we hope it'll be ready, but it's still a great source to go to americacanwetalk.org. While you're there, consider hit on the subscribe button. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And it's just a very fact-filled newsletter. We're also redoing that, making it a little more friendly. I tend to be pretty wonky. I just want to put out all the facts and um, I'm trying to make it look a little more friendly. But America, subscribe to the newsletter. You can donate to support this show. This show is a listener-supported show. And on the website, you can make a donation. Um, that would be greatly appreciated if you do that. I would appreciate that. You can also join America Can We Talk on the website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit the members uh, tab across the top and it comes up, you can join. It's $50 a year, you know, pretty much free, $50 a year. And when you're a member, you'll get discounts on our upcoming summits. We're having a summit in the fall with fabulous speakers on, on October 15th. We're gonna have a spring summit, a, a single issue, an evening summit, a single issue one, and we'll have products coming. So it's all just, I, I'm, I'm really, my mission about doing this show is to inspire people to love America. So on, if you're on radio, please go to the website, americacanwetalk.org, subscribe, join, uh, donate if you would like to, share this uh, also. And as we go off to the, uh, for radio listeners, if you subscribe to the newsletter, it's a great way. If you can't listen to the show, which is every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, you can listen to it online also at americacanwetalk.org and come right back after our break. Okay, for our bottom of the hour uh, special story. I was wishing I had time. Uh, our radio listeners will be gone for three minutes, but I'm wishing I had time to send these pictures because they're so entertaining uh, to Mr. Becker, but ran out of time this morning. But I just want to tell you this really interesting thing. I kind of vowed to myself that I, today, because I've been talking about the truckers so much, the truckers and freedom and COVID and masks and you know, mandates and vaccine passports, that we're not talking about that today. And we're really not going to talk about that today, except to say that, you know, it's amazing how many people on the American, the anti-American left, they're really happy imposing things, rules, regulations on everybody else okay with them to impose all sorts of regulations including wearing masks but the truth is they don't really like them and they don't want to do it themselves and they don't comply with what they tell other people to do they're happy to have you know nazi ma mask nazi people in grocery stores and public schools and on school boards but they actually many of them on the left they don't want to comply they don't want to do it and when they think no one's looking they don't wear a mask I'm going to tell you some examples and these silly excuses these leftists made for why they weren't wearing a mask. But I want to point out, if you actually thought that COVID was so dangerous that everyone has to wear a mask at all times, if you actually believe that, none of these stories I'm about to tell you would have happened. None of them. You would not have any leftist out in public without a mask. And that simply, the, why I'm saying that to you is this. If the leftists believe the masks were saving lives, they would wear them. 
They don't believe masks are saving lives. They believe it's a, another way they can control the people and plant in, uh, into the minds and hearts of people that they have to wait for governmental permission to have the people, the public, see their face. But leftists don't believe that masks save lives or else they wouldn't do the things they do. So here are a bunch of the examples. Um, one was, uh, this is just 10 people in the absurd situations and excuses that were given. Uh, the San, Sam Licardo, mayor of San Jose, California, um, and he was at a large Thanksgiving dinner party in violation of his own state's health guidelines, limiting the number of households at private gatherings at the same violation. In addition to violating that, he also uh, posed for pictures without a mask. And um, he basically, his excuse was, I should have been more astute to the specifics of the regulations. He didn't want to wear a mask. That's all it is. And it's some dumb excuse. I should have been more astute. Okay, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, a total Nazi on the subject of COVID, gets caught photographed at East Lansing at a large maskless gathering in violation of her own health department. And she said, her answer was, uh, I just need to be human. Uh, I just neglected to stop and think about it. I'm just human. Okay, as opposed to other people who are not. And for radio listeners, we're running through some quick and funny lines that leftists delivered when they were caught not wearing a mask, when they were the source of the rules telling everybody else that they have to wear masks and they don't wear them. My point I said during the break was, if they really believe masks were vital to protect their health and vital to protect against the spread of COVID, they'd wear them. Okay, so Muriel Bowser, mayor of Washington, DC, her answer, um, <laughs> She's photographed without a mask at a wedding reception. Oh, large number of people, wedding reception, just days after imposing an indoor mask mandate in Washington, but she's at a wedding reception. She doesn't have a mask on. And her answer, well, why aren't you wearing a mask? You said everybody else has to, it's an indoor gathering. Her answer was, don't be ridiculous. Like, I can't even be bothered talking to you stupid people. Um, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago, source of the uh, comment we talked about earlier today, where she said, you know, you can't really blame the um, young people, juveniles who are engaged in carjackings, uh, because after all, you know, they're subject to remote learning. And I mean, that was her, she's blaming remote learning for the fact they're engaged in carjackings. Uh-huh, anyway, but this one, she just said, um, you know, she's caught at a, um, she defended herself, she's shouting at a bullhorn in the middle of a big crowd, shouting into a bullhorn with no mask on. Um, and then she says, there are times we actually do need to have relief and come together. It's been a super hard year. Everyone feels traumatized. So, you know, she doesn't have for a mask, therefore. Um, Lon London Breed, mayor of San Francisco, caught uh, wearing, he had one of the strictest mask mandates in the state of California. Uh, and he was photographed dancing at a jazz club without a mask. And his answer was, hey, I was feeling this spirit. I can get read you the rest of them too. I'm going to save uh, Stacey Abrams because she's got a whole litany of them. But I'm just pointing out these are typical leftists. They impose on everybody else the things they're completely unwilling to comply with themselves. So what the last thing I want to talk about today is the Capitol Police spying on members of Congress. I wanted to actually read you this. And, and, and this, there's a profound political point about this. I'm not just whining about how the Capitol Police and the Department of Justice are treating Republicans. But let me just tell you this story first. There's a member of Congress named Rep. Troy, and his last name is N-E-H-L-S. I'm assuming it's Nels, but in any case, he, he reported, this is a U.S. 
a member of Congress, a member of Congress in Washington, reported that the Capitol Police Intelligence Division investigated his office illegally. The Capitol Police, who are there to protect the members of Congress, protect the visitors, protect the staff, that's their job. Instead, he said they investigated his office illegally. One of, him, one of his staffers caught them in the act. In November 2021, Capitol Police entered his office without his knowledge and photographed confidential legislative products, which has to mean like a draft bill, you know, what do you think we should do with this bill? Draft legislation uh, protected by the speech and debate clause enshrined in the Constitution. So Capitol Police, the specifically the Intelligence Division, comes into his office unannounced, no permission, no warrant, no notice, show up in his office, taking pictures of documents in his office. And then he says two days later on Monday, November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving week, three intelligence officers, you have to listen to this, three intelligence officers attempted to enter my office while the house was in recess. Upon discovering a member of my staff, please listen to this, special agents of the Capitol Police, dressed like construction workers, began to question the staffer as to the contents of a photograph they had illegally taken two days earlier. They had no authority to be in his office, no authority to take pictures, let alone investigate him or members of his staff. This is Capitol Police leadership maliciously investigating a member of Congress. And he says, I don't know why, maybe because I'm a critic of Speaker Pelosi, a critic of the January 6th committee, a critic of the Capitol Police leadership and their handling of January 6th, and especially with respect to the death of Ashley Babbitt and the subsequent, his word, all caps, sham investigation. So this is one little story. And then I want to turn to Congressman Louis Gohmert. And you all just love Louis Gohmert. He's a member of Congress in the great state of Texas. Uh, Texas, I always think it's somehow symbolic. His congressional district is CD1, Congressional District 1. So he's a member of Congress, been there a long time, uh, and he's in Congress representing this area in Texas, this Tyler, Texas, very conservative area. So he made a great floor speech, uh, Congressman Gomer did, in which he ran through, I couldn't play the whole thing, because he ran through just a great litany of the absurdities happening under the Biden administration. To be very clear, the point we're going to get to is, this is the Biden administration. This is the Capitol Police under the Biden administration. And what I'm about to have you hear from Louis Gohmert, this is the uh, Department of Justice under President Biden. This is the lawless anti-American left, how they run government when they have power, sending Capitol Police in to spy on Republicans and the Department of Justice run by, ultimately, President Biden. You have them going into Louis Gohmert's office, his mail. So listen, please, if you would, to what Louis Gohmert had to say. Drugs, sex trafficking, and human trafficking. At the same time, for the first time since I've been in Congress, we have seen that our mail, we've gotten two mail just a day apart. One came in uh, September 17th, stamped by the Department of Justice as being received and reviewed and examined, and another from a Christian missionary to me, and it was reviewed by the Department of Justice. The Supreme Court has made clear that the Department of Justice cannot even get a search warrant to search a member's office. 
And yet this administration, like this House, doesn't think the rules, the law, the Constitution perhaps mean what they say. We have got to get back to following the Constitution if we're going to preserve this republic. But it is in dire situation. It is in a desperate situation. And if we do not get back to following the Constitution and observing the rules of the House, then our republic will be lost. And that's where we're being taken right now. Okay, I love Congressman Gohmert. He has, in all the time he's been in Washington, just simply, he, he's the go-to member of Congress for most conservatives, all conservatives in Texas. And part of the reason is he's never swayed by the you know, events of the moment, uh, what's trendy to say, you know, what is viewed as politically correct to say. He is a uh, you know, true, you know, true North, straight arrow, follow the law. He's got a history as a judge. Uh, here in the great state of Texas, um, and he has military. He worked in the U.S. military legal system. I'm not sure exactly what. I forget what he did, but point is, straight arrow, and he's also one that people in Congress turn to quite often when bills, you know, massive bills come through because he's the one, someone will go to him and say, okay, we got to vote yes or no, and they know Louis Gohmert, Congressman Gohmert, actually read the bill. This is what people, among many things, people love about him straight arrow. So he's complaining about getting pieces of mail in his address to him in Congress. Uh, one, as you hear from a, from a missionary, and a, listen to this. So in January, his staff received a letter addressed to his official office from a Christian missionary, which was already opened and stamped DOJ mailroom. So whatever reason, this letter that should have gone right from whoever sent it, right to Congressman Gohmert, goes to the Department of Justice who had opened it opened it. And you heard him say this a moment ago, the Supreme Court has said the DOJ, even if they wanted a warrant, cannot get a warrant to open the mail of members of Congress. And they had no warrant. They didn't even try to get a warrant. They just do it. So that was one. Um, actually, it was stamped DOJ mailroom with a date and also stamped with the word x-rayed. Last week, his office, is he's speaking, I think, a week ago, uh, last week, his office received a second piece of mail from a constituent, mailed from East Texas, postmarked September 21. It took four and a half months to reach his office. It was also opened and bore the stamp, had on it the stamp of the Department of Justice. Now, you might be thinking, in the grand scheme of, you know, border insecure, you know, COVID tyranny, all the other issues we look at, this is a minor story. But what it reflects... What it reflects is a fact that we have in Washington, we have as a leader, the people who control the White House, you know, barely control the U.S. House and pretty much control the Senate because they're 50-50. So if they keep, can keep all the Democrats together and get, you know, the president, Senate president pro tem, which is the um, vice president, that those people essentially, you know, the Democrats control everything then. So you have Democrat control of everything, and you have the most radical anti-American leftist agenda ever to spew out of Washington, D.C., and they are using, or at least tolerating, permitting the Department of Justice to seize mail addressed directly to a member of Congress, addressed by whoever sent it to a member of Congress, 
And in one case, you heard four and a half months it took the letter to get there from East Texas to Washington. And the DOJ stamped it. Yeah, actually, we, we uh, got your mail. We opened it. Mm -hmm, we did. We opened it. And we stamped it, you know, DOJ and X-ray. What this symbolizes is a breakdown in the rule of law. It's not minor. If you're a member of Congress, you actually need to be able to communicate with your constituents. You need to be sure that if your constituents take the time to write a letter, that it comes to you. And it's not that necessarily that each letter contains some deeply, powerfully important top secrets. It's maybe some people writing, hey, Congressman Gohmert, thanks for voting yes on this. You know, please vote no on this. Whatever you'd write your congressman. We don't know what was in the letters. But the DOJ is presuming that they can just open it because they want to. And they didn't come and say, at least according to everything he said, they didn't come and say, hey, you know, we had a mix up. We're so sorry. We don't know why this letter got delivered to us. And, you know, since it came, you know, we're, we're sorry. We kind of opened it by mistake. None of that. Just sent it on him eventually, uh, having gone through from the person who wrote the letter through the DOJ to Congress. And this is, you know, it is a uh, felony, or at least it's a misdemeanor. I think it's a felony to take other people's mail. I mean, if I went to my neighbor's mailbox, you know, took stuff out right through, picked the one I wanted to open, opened it, it's a crime for sure. I think it's a felony. And yet this is a DOJ. They feel immune from law. They feel immune from the rule of law. And they don't comply with the rule of law. But they, they're, it's like their attitude is, yeah, but, but, but we're the Democrats and, and we run Washington. So, you know, the DOJ, they want to open a Republican Congress letter. Yeah, we're going to do that. Darn straight. So this occurred. As, and, it's, you know, this notion of interfering with the branches of government is, you know, I, I say it's lawlessness on its face, number one. But number two, I'm going to assume the reason the Supreme Court said that the uh, DOJ cannot, e cannot even get a, a um, warrant to open a, a letter to a member of Congress has to do with separation of powers. Congress represents the people. You send a letter to Congress and, and, and you know, that's your guy, your woman, your rep, and you want to send a letter saying, please do this or vote no, vote yes, whatever you want to say. That is a, a function of the legislative branch and that they they represent a certain group of people, a certain congressional district, and you're supposed to be able to communicate with your member of Congress. And this is the DOJ saying, we don't care about that. Why do we care? We're going to open it because we feel like it. And they are a different branch with a different agenda, a different role in government. They're part of the executive branch. They're a federal agency. They are under the executive branch. So it's like the executive branch interfering with the legislative branch. So it's the lawlessness, it's the cavalierness, that unacceptable, along with the first story I read to you involving uh, GOP rep Troy Nels, N-E-H-L-S, Nels, who wrote what I just read to you, that the, the Capitol Police, now that's different than the DOJ, Capitol Police, again, their job is to keep people in Congress safe. That's their job. And instead, they are spying on, apparently, a member of Congress going to his office. And this isn't the first story like this. Other stories where members of Congress are concerned that Capitol Police, instead of keeping them safe and, and protecting the institution, are spying on at the behest of, oh, I don't know who could direct the Capitol Police to do these things. Someone's directing them. I'm sure it's not just the average officer of a Capitol Police officer who woke up one day and said, I think I'll you know, make my way into a certain congressman's office and spy and take pictures of legislative work he's doing. Someone's directing this. 
And it, you know, it's, it's obviously someone on the left who is wanting this spying to happen on this GOP rep. So what's happened now in Washington is an inspector general, the inspector general, um, has opened an investigation into the U.S. Capitol Police after these allegations of spying on members of Congress and the staff. And the allegations are not just these two, not just the Louis Gohmert story, the DOJ, and not just this one member of Congress and the Capitol Police coming into his office, but the whole notion that elected members of Congress are saying, we feel like we're being spied on. We feel like we're being watched. We don't, this is, and so this is Inspector General. Now, again, to be clear, if you don't, the Inspector General function in Washington is supposed to be truly nonpartisan. It's supposed to be nonpartisan. It's not supposed to be controlled by the party in power. I mean, the Inspector General truly is supposed to function independently. Now, I don't know how much control the administration really has anyway over the inspector general, but Lisa, they've launched this, this, uh, re this investigation into spying. Um, uh, in fact, I want to just read you a, a brief little thing about the inspector general of the, for the U.S. Capitol Police. And by the way, uh, there, there are inspectors general. There is a role of inspector general for U.S. Capitol Police, for State Department, for all sorts of other agencies in Washington. It's an independent function to oversee uh, what otherwise might be just a den of thieves or just people who work together and don't want to have what they're doing known to others. And, you know, the idea of the inspector general is, yeah, you're going to need to respond to what the inspector general asked to see. So the inspector general for the U.S. Capitol Police opened a formal investigation as to whether law enforcement agency tasked with securing the Capitol has been inappropriately surveilling elected members of Congress. And the um, opening of the investigation follows news reports and accusations from lawmakers that the U.S. Capitol Police has overstepped its bounds as it tries to recover from the January 6th riots that tarnished both the Capitol and the reputation of the U.S. Capitol Police. Now, remember this guy Nels, I mentioned a minute ago, he's actually saying, I don't know why they're in my office, you know, on, with no warrant and no permission, uh, no knowledge even at the time by this congressman. But he said, I have been a vocal critic of Speaker Pelosi, the January 6th committee, the Capitol Police, and their leadership and their handling of the January 6th event, as well as their, ha their handling of the um, death of Ashley Babbitt and subsequent, as he calls it, sham investigation. So back to the Inspector General thing, they are saying they're going to look into it, find out if it's happening, who's doing it. And these people, the Capitol Police and anyone else who has an inspector general whose job it is to oversee their agency, you're supposed to answer their questions. And you're supposed to turn over information to them. You don't get to withhold it. You, I guess you can go to a court and ask a court to withhold it. But this is a, for the inspector general to open an investigation, it means they smell a rat. They don't open investigation every time someone, you know, whines a little bit about something and says, okay, okay, we'll investigate. This is that they're, they're taking it seriously enough to actually open investigation. Um, and then uh, according to a political article, uh, U.S. Capitol Police analysts have been directed by Julie Farnham, the acting director of the U.S. Capitol Police's Intelligence and Interagency Coordination Division, to run background checks on people whom lawmakers plan to meet, including donors, donors and associates. So 
I mean, if you want the Capitol Police, if you're a member of Congress and you have a total stranger saying, I'd like to come and, you know, visit the Capitol and I want to come and, you know, see what, um, you know, whatever I want to talk to my congressman, you might want as a con member of Congress to say, could you see out, please check in who this person is. I don't know this name before I let them in my office, but this, um, uh, yeah, when staff were listed, and listen to this part too, when staff were listed as attending meetings with members of Congress, in addition to the fact, going back, was Julie Farnham, acting director of the U.S. Capitol Police's Intelligence and Interagency Coordination Division. They were asked to run background checks on people whom lawmakers planned to meet, including donors and associates. When staff were listed as attending these meetings, Capitol Police intelligence analysts also got asked to check the social media accounts of the staffers. So there's there, you know, the U.S. Capitol Police chief named Thomas Manger, M-A-N-G-E-R, Manger, Manger, that's probably Manger, anyway, um, he denied the allegations that they are doing, in the, from the political article, he's denying these allegations that they're doing any kind of spying at all, claim that U.S. Capitol Police activities are appropriate and legal, that's all that they are, and, and you know, this is a whole, a whole blue about nothing. I'm really glad there is such a thing as an inspector general, but what I really want to do in wrapping up this topic, I just want you to think about again, the danger to the structure and the, and the uh, institution of Congress, the structure of government, if some entities within the government decide they don't really have to follow the law. It's, they're kind of above the law. It is really what we saw uh, in, in many aspects of Biden administration in this first term, first year of his first term, okay, his only term, his first year of this only term. But there's a, there, there's a it, it's both harmful whenever the law is not followed, but even more so, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that sets in a kind of, well, you know, we are the U.S. Capitol Police. We are the DOJ. We're kind of above the law that applies to all these little citizens out there. You know, we, we are the ruling class. We need to be able to do these things to do our jobs. We need to be able to do this. And when you rec remember again what happened under President Trump, where you had the entire FBI DOJ engage in a three and a half year investigation of President Trump over non-existent Trump-Russia collusion. After three and a half years and millions of dollars and millions of hours spent, man hours spent investigating, and, and there was nothing to it at all. And then very late, we all learned that it actually was Hillary Clinton and her concoction of this story with Fusion GPS uh, and the Cooey Law, Perkins Cooey Law Firm leading eventually to the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax. It was Hillary Clinton team and her campaign, her campaign that cooked up the Trump-Russia collusion as an intended campaign smear. We all know this because handwritten notes that John Brennan then had the CIA wrote. And they're, they're actually those notes are what Sidney Powell used to finally get Lieutenant General Michael Flynn released from this prosecution or to have finally get enough attention on the case uh, that President Trump was willing to pardon him because you couldn't get the judge to do his job. I'm just getting at the point. If you lose a rule of law and the assumption that you simply must, as a member of the Capitol Police, the FBI, the DOJ, you must follow the law, you must do what the law requires. If you lose that, you have no structure to government at all. You have just chaos. You have the ruling party. You have whoever's in charge decides things. They set things in place and everyone else is just going to go along with it. And that's that. You have tyranny. 
These are very serious things happening. And it's not just, I don't care whether the missionary's letter, just, just, you know, what it had in it at all, the missionary who wrote to Congressman Gomer or the constituent, it doesn't matter what was in the letter. It's the presumption of the DOJ. Now you have the inspector general of the Capitol Police, at least looking into what are some of those officers doing in a congressman's office. But is that notion, if you lose that presumption, that assumption, that absolute insistence on the rule of law, you just have you have chaos, you have tyranny, you have third world dictator, you know, tin pot dictator doing whatever they want because nothing controls them, nothing stops them, law doesn't apply to them. Very, very dangerous things. Wonderful the, I, the inspector general is going to look into it. I don't know if he'll get any answers out of it. Okay, so we are about a minute away from our radio listeners. So I want to remind you of three things, radio listeners. Number one, Go to our website. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is called America Can We Talk, and the website is americacanwetalk.org. I'm going to quickly tell you the two ways if you can support this show. Beside, I told you before, you can donate or you can join. Two great things to do. The other ways you can do it, if you go to mypillow.com, one of the ways I get any, I've never gotten a salary at all for doing this show, but one way I get support is if you go to mypillow.com, and you look at their wonderful array of products, you can choose any product you'd like to get, you order it and put in the promo code Debbie G, Debbie G in the promo code, you get up to 66% off, that way you can help produce uh, my show, I get a percentage, radio listeners, thanks for listening, come back next time. For everybody else, I'll remind you, before I turn to why it matters to you, the other thing you can do is that there's another product. I have these two sponsors. Uh, they're not sponsors. They're people who uh, share with a promo code. Uh, H2Bev is a beverage. And right here, this is a picture. It's called HydroShot. HydroShot. I'm telling you, it changes. It helps in the morning. I get up in the morning. I have one can, small can of this. You can see the label says increased performance, endurance, and focus. I am not kidding. It, it is that they have managed in a way they've infused hydrogen, which is an antioxidant, into this drink. It's the only way you can buy it is online, and you can buy it at the website is h2bev.com. You see in the upper right-hand corner, h the digit2bev.com. Again, use the promo code DebbieG. Order yourself a case. I am sure you will love it. You'll get a 10% off. I get a small percentage too. And that way you can support this show and get a great product beside. Now I want to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started the show. We're talking about remote learning causes carjackings. Who knew? Uh, mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, said the leftist mayor of Chicago blames rising carjacking among juveniles and other crime on remote learning. Kids are bored, so they have to go carjack and commit crime. This is the upside-down nature of the leftist worldview, the complete loss of moral teaching and moral order, the soulless view of mankind. Millions of American children have been bored from time to time. They didn't go out and commit violent crime to address boredom. Millions of Americans have been poor. They worked to get out of poverty. They did not steal. The American people in Chicago and everywhere must demand leadership grounded in America's Judeo-Christian values. This lady is validating and excusing what they are doing. And the maskless lefties and their excuses. Nancy Pelosi had a fundraiser, Stacey Abrams in a room full of kindergartners, Hollywood celebs when they think no one is watching. They don't really fear COVID and they don't buy the mask hype. CDC keeps shifting the science. We're going to get into the CDC and COVID again next week. CDC keeps shifting the science. Now masks don't matter. COVID no more dangerous than the flu. CDC said this. 
COVID turns out no more dangerous than the flu to young people and children. They actually said this, young adults and children. No medical science has changed. As DeSantis says, political science has changed. The American people are ending the pandemic. CDC is just trying to make it appear that ending it was their idea, not so fast. And on Capitol Police spying on members of Congress, Capitol Police disguised as construction workers inspecting and surveilling a GOP congressman's office. Congressman Louis Gohmert reports on the DOJ opening constituent mail addressed to him. Both actions brazenly illegal. These are actions of a completely amoral banana republic, fourth world dictatorship. Americans over a certain age and or with a basic understanding of history and civics know this is lawlessness on a scale never seen in America. It cannot be tolerated by the American people. The uniparty ruling class will not stop it. Only we the people can stop it. Stand up, speak up, do not obey tyrants, do not submit to dictatorship. Freedom is rare, America is exceptional. The American people must rise up to defend their heritage. And my very fine friends, tomorrow on the show, Thursday show, open to everyone now, we have Kyle Scheidler joining us, fabulous guest. He's a, uh, an official at the Center for Security Policy. Two great issues he's going to talk about, but the one I want to hit on to tempt you is the Department of Homeland Security recently announced they are designating people, designating people who challenge COVID vaccine policy or who question the 2020 election outcome as domestic terrorists. Not kidding. When you see what they said, it is spine chilling, it is alarming, and Kyle shall be here tomorrow to talk about that. So tomorrow and every day, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, tune in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?